Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are continuing our sermon series on resilience. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, then you've kind of been walking this journey as to what resilience is and and how it's kind of built into our lives and how it's demonstrated and uh, where it links to our growth and our maturity as men of God and as women of God. And we've been looking primarily at kind of a process of going through difficulty. Uh, You could use the metaphor of refinement or just dealing with challenges in life that kind of yield this type of outcome. But when you and I are facing those types of things, there's a chance for us to purpose ourselves to endure, right? That means that we're going to withstand the pressure. And then there is a way for us to begin to take intentional steps forward to move through those difficulties, and that's perseverance. That I'm going I'm to make some forward motion, some forward progress through this difficulty. And then resilience is something that is built on the other side. The word resilient means to be able to snap back into shape or to regain your whole self on the other side. And that's where we've been spending a lot of our time the last several weeks, because many of us have learned how to dutifully endure and to persevere, but on the other side of that process, we're left kind of broken and fragmented and maybe a shell of our former selves. And so we're learning how to go through not just difficulties where we endure and persevere, but where we recover our persons on the other side, that we're whole and healthy in who God has created us to be and designed us to be. And so we've been looking at that process and talking about how uh, prayer is something that fosters that, that the way that God designed rest to be part of that rhythm of recovery. Uh, We've talked about uh, a reliance on the sovereignty of God and the way that this pertains to maturity or growth as a man of God or as a woman of God. And primarily we've been considering this in just our individual lives. It's It's an introspective type of a process for us to begin to think about how are we to endure, persevere, and to become resilient men and women of God. But we're going to take our attention off of ourselves for this morning, and we're going to bring community into the process. Moving out of this idea of just individually kind of step-by-step grinding it out and trying to make it to the next kind of day or through the next difficulty towards the next challenge, we're going to start looking at the way that community helps build resilience in an exponential way in our lives. Uh, Pastor Beth and I have a a favorite uh, proverb that we kind of hold to when it comes to the import of community. And it's it's an old African proverb that simply says, if you want to go fast, then go alone. If you want to go fast, go alone. And parents, you guys know exactly what that means, right? If you want to go fast, then you go by yourself. As soon as you add the rest of that family together, right, it's the clock's ticking already. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with others. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. Now, uh, my little example of the family unit breaks down there because I don't feel like I get very far when I take those others with me either, right? It's just more work. But in a generalized sense, what the African proverb is speaking to is the exponential impact of community. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, if you want to last, if you want to have lasting reach, impact, 
then go with others. It speaks to the exponential impact of community. And not only were you and I designed for community, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. In fact, we went through a whole series on the importance of community not too long ago, that God has designed us for that. Uh, but we are, we're actually better for it. You and I are better when we're in community and we're at a disadvantage when it's either missing or it's unhealthy. If we're in an unhealthy community, we're at a disadvantage when it comes to growing and maturing as men and women of God. And when we are out of community altogether, the same disadvantage holds true. And so it's not enough for us to just say, hey, we value community because God designed us for relationship. And that's a lot of times the cursory glance that people take and the only way that they apply it. Right? I was built for relationship with God and relationship with others. And so I may have kind of some friendships and some people that I interact with. And when things get tough, maybe I'll run to the Lord in prayer. Or I'll get kind of into scripture. I'll, I'll get into those spiritual practices maybe in a little bit more of a, a, a rhythm in my life. But community is, is, is broader, it's deeper, it's more vulnerable, and it's longer lasting. And we were designed not just for relationship, we were designed to be in right community. And as we have kind of learned how to endure and persevere and to build resilience, we've almost wholly in this uh, series considered it individually. This is my challenge. This is my problem. This is my brokenness. This is my cross to bear. This is my valley of the shadow of death. This is my loss. This is my grief. This is my addiction. Whatever those things are. And so I'm enduring and I'm persevering and I'm looking for resilience on the other side. God, help me to recover my whole person. Speak to me about my identity. Help me to be whole on the other side of this. And so we oftentimes, especially when we're going through challenges, tend to go it alone. And I know that you have done this. I know that you've done this. I know that it's been hard and you've pulled away at times. And it's not because I have any special insight into you. It's because I've done that too. Our tendency is to kind of withdraw into isolation when we're dealing with challenges, when we're dealing with brokenness, when we're dealing with failure, when we're dealing with like sin, when we're dealing with those things that are a part of our lives that we wish that they weren't, we have a tendency to withdraw towards isolation. We find ourselves alone. And, and while it's possible in isolation to still kind of endure and persevere and still kind of recover some resilience on the other side, it's exponentially impacted by community when you have it healthy around you. When we allow others to lend their persons and their strength to our process, and we do that in turn, there's exponential growth there. And there's actually a, a whole field of human development. If you study that and look at the way that people grow and mature through that lens, what you would discover is that in stages of human development, in stages of human growth, uh, personal growth or maturity and transformation, you would find that those things are only found within processes that include community. In fact, the, the whole idea of transformation uh, as, a, as a source of study in the way that people grow, transformation can't happen outside of community because community f helps form that understanding. And as we turn our attention to God's Word, we're not going to be using a human development lens. I just wanted to kind of give you uh, the, the way that that relates to other processes or thoughts. We're just going to be looking very simply at a passage from Ecclesiastes that reinforces the importance of community and what it brings to the table. 
and then to consider where we need that, maybe reformed because it's malformed or because it's missing, and to invite the Lord to do that work. In us. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. If you'd like to get a jump start, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 shortly. But Lord, we quiet our hearts in this moment. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, we do this as an, as an individual exercise. We ask that you would give us personally eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word and what you would challenge us with by your spirit. Give us courageous faith to respond. Lord, that we would do that individually, but Lord, give us a collective ear for what you would speak to us about our community, about who we are to be as the expression of the body of Christ as Sterling Foursquare Church in this community. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and ready hearts to receive and act in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a little bit. Uh, but God, at the very beginning of Scripture, speaks to our design and our need for community and the danger of its absence. Uh, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, if you look at the macro creation account in Genesis chapter 1, uh, then you have this account in Genesis where God continues uh, to begin creation, and then he starts making this statement that you're going to read over and over and over. It'll say, God spoke, and this happened, and he created this, and that happened, and evening came, and morning came, and this day, and this day, and this day, and then over and over in the process of creation, Genesis 1 gives God's verdict of what he has accomplished on that day, and it says, and God said it was good. Right? Some of you Sunday school rats, you guys know. And God said it was good. Evening and morning came the third day, and this day, and that day. And God said it was good, and God said it was good, and God said it was good. And then there's a statement that God makes about uh, the culmination of creating mankind. Let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. And it says, and that God said it was very good. Uses an, ex an actual uh, exclamation uh, over what was going on there. Sets it apart as even different from the rest of the good things he was doing in creation. So in Genesis chapter 1, you get this overarching narrative, and then in Genesis chapter 2, it focuses in, and you get kind of a detail, detailed account, and you have the account of Adam and Eve and the garden. And what's interesting is if you're overlaying these two things and kind of using them as two lenses to view how God went about doing creation, both kind of a 30,000-foot view and then a boots-on-the-ground type of a view, you bump into something really interesting. In the, in the macro account of creation in Genesis 1, it just sweepingly goes over the creation of mankind. And God created man in his image, male and female. He created them. It's a, it's a macro narrative. When you get to Genesis 2, it talks about that distinctly and procedurally, the process that went involved. And you find that Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground, and God breathed his spirit into him, and he was alive. And it's, it's really interesting because God places him in the garden and Adam is interacting with God, has God all to himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Had God all to himself. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God is looking on Adam, his situation, and the, the, the work that he's given him, the partnership that he's giving him in stewarding all of creation. And then God says these words, the Lord God said, it is, look at this, not good for the man to be alone. 
It's such a curious thing because all of chapter one, God spoke and created and it was good. And it was good and it was good and it was very good. But then in this kind of detailed account of the creation of man, he creates Adam and he looks at Adam in his isolation and in his separateness, in his lack of community. And he says, that's not good. And Adam had God all to himself. It's such a curious thing because you and I, oftentimes we would think this, man, if it was just me and Jesus and the rest of these clowns were out of here, life would be golden, right? If, if it was just me and God, I don't need anybody else. I don't need church. I don't need church people. I don't need the world. It's just me and Jesus. We got our own thing going. We have a tendency to view that almost as if that is like the goal. But Adam had that and God said, man, that's not enough. That's not as I've designed it. That's not good because he was isolated. He was out of community. It was not good. And so then you continue the close-up, boots on the ground, creation narrative in Genesis 2, and you have Eve created out of Adam. And then it's to that formation, to the male and female that he created them. You can go back to chapter 1, and he says that's very good because there was a community that was brought into that place and a lot of times we'll look at those couple chapters and we'll use that to talk about the importance and the value of a of a person that's true that you and I were created in the image of God and so we have intrinsic value just based on that fact we'll see an affirmation of marriage and right relationship and the way that the home is supposed to be brought into uh, uh, into order and kind of cared for and that's that's applicable but primarily the account isn't a marriage account. It's not a family unit account. It's a community account. That you and I were made to be in healthy community with one another and with the Lord. And that when that's missing, it's not good. And I share that with you because when we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that's precisely the point that the writer is making. That in this book of wisdom that touches on a number of different themes, he focuses in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, about what it looks like to not have good, healthy community. What that looks like in the life of a person. If you were to read Ecclesiastes just as a book, uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes... Uh, starts out with a statement that is a refrain over and over and over throughout the book. And this is the refrain, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, right? If you're like, hey, that doesn't sound like a joy-filled book, it is absolutely not. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, if it was written by like a Winnie the Pooh character, Eeyore would have written <laughs> that book. If you've ever wrestled with anxiety and depression, you need to go to that book. In fact, the first time I read that book from start to finish, the first time I ever read that whole book in one sitting was when I was dealing with grief. When I had to deal personally with the loss of somebody close to me for the first time in my life, and I did not know what to do with it, and I felt myself spiraling, and I felt like that. Everything is meaningless, and there's times where you'll, you'll bump into that. You'll feel that. You'll feel anxiety and depression kind of cre creeping in or overwhelming you like a storm, and you'll think thoughts like, why does it matter? Go to that book. 
and you'll get a whole bunch of chapters that tells you that nothing matters. You're going to be like, see, I knew it. And then it's going to get to the end and it will tell you what really matters in life. And it will be like a breath of fresh air. It will be uh, the spirit of God, wind in your sails that will propel you out of that depression, out of that anxiety, and back into the things that would give you life. That's just a sidebar. That's a freebie this morning. But as the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is dealing with this, he starts making these statements, meaningless, meaningless, this is meaningless, that's meaningless. And he addresses everything from hedonism to fatalism to other types of empty pursuits in life, the futility of amassing wealth and having stuff only to have it lost, all of those types of things, calamity and trauma, all of those things are a part of this. But ultimately, that statement of meaningless says that whatever is about to be highlighted has no value that lasts or is empty or futile. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he says that specifically about being alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7, as he begins this new section in the writing, it says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. This is his fancy way of saying, and another thing that is empty or meaningless, and another thing. It's just like over and over and over. Reasons to be depressed or forlorn. And another thing. I saw something meaningless under the sun. Look at this. There was a man all alone. There was a man all alone. The words echo God's verdict of man's isolation in creation. Where when God looked down at him, apart from community, he said, that's not good. It's echoing that sentiment here. That the writer of Ecclesiastes, the one with wisdom, looked and saw a man alone and had the same verdict. This is empty. This is futile. This is without value. There's, there's something alarming here. And what he goes into in the next several verses is kind of an addressing the peril of isolation and aloneness. It's not the feeling of being lonely. You have to think uh, separately of those two things. We dealt with that in our series on community, that God has actually designed that emotion of feeling lonely, that loneliness is to draw us to God, that, that ultimately he's only the, the only one who can fulfill all of our deepest longings. But aloneness, where we're separate, where we're fractured, where we're isolated, that's what's being addressed here, that this man was all alone. And when you begin the next several verses after that, it begins to talk about the way that this person began to live, self-focused and self-centered, amassing wealth and, and, and things, uh, 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 secluding himself from right relationship. It gives kind of a, a, um, a, a view on kind of greed and power dynamics. There's a, a number of different things in the way that that could be applied to society structures. But as he moves away from just that simple verdict that it's not good that this guy is alone. This is a red flag. This is danger, danger, danger. This is a perilous moment. It's contrasted with what community brings to the table. It's contrasted with what community provides for individuals who are willing to enter into that. And, and this is where I want to begin, verse 9 through 12. We'll read them all at once, and there's four things we're going to pull out of this. But as he makes this transition to the importance of community in the life of the person, he says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. Now, lest we get tempted to kind of focus too much on the numbers, this isn't talking about being singling, uh, singling an individual out and then coupling. That's not the point. The point is isolation from community and community being formed. And it's using kind of this simple uh, examples that are easily accessible for you and I to make the point contrasting the man who was alone, where it was addressed as meaningless, futile, without value, danger, perilous, versus the benefit of being in a healthy community. And there's four things that community does that we're going to pull out of these verses that are helpful for you and I. Now again, as you were talking about enduring and persevering and becoming resilient, you can do that on your own. You can just, me and Jesus are going to figure this out, but it will not be exponential without others being a part of it. And in fact, it won't be transformational without others being a part of it because it's designed, it's designed to have community be a part of it. The first thing that we find, okay, so verse 9, two are better than one because they get a good return for their labor. And the first thing that community does is community produces exponential results. If you like to note, take, that's your first point. Community produces exponential results. Okay, you can lift so much weight on your own, you get a friend to come and help you, and you can lift more. Now, there's a variety of different ways that people try to kind of twist and apply this type of a metaphor. Don't overcomplicate it. You can just figure this out on your own. It really is this simple. You might not be able to lift the refrigerator, but if you call your friend over, they can help you get the job done. It's just simple, uh, simple addition as far as the idea of community. We can accomplish more together. Now, I wholly recognize that if you have the wrong person helping you, it's not help at all, right? And there's all kinds of principles in both developing leaders and in coaching a team and in just whether or not you're going to have your kids help you with a task that all can pertain to that into the particulars and the practical. But that's not what this is trying to get to. It's just trying to highlight that everybody can see and everybody can recognize that if somebody comes alongside you, you can do more than if you were on your own. Now, if you want to predicate that with that being somebody who's mature and healthy and a community that is formed well, then we can go ahead and do that. But the simplest expression is just saying when you have somebody alongside you that things tend to go better. And this is a challenge, right? Because we want to go back to the African proverb, I want to go fast and I want to go alone. Because adding people to my life and adding people to my experience can be challenging, especially if they're not developed yet and it requires what the Bible would call as discipleship. But you could just look at it as a sense of apprenticeship, of helping people grow and develop and build capacity. There's things that I invite my children to be part of in my life that make my project more difficult in the short term. But it will yield long-term results as they build that capacity to do those things on their own. 
And so what community does is community produces exponential results. It may not produce immediate results, but it will always produce exponential results. And so for you and I, when we're talking about endurance and perseverance and become re resilient, community coming alongside us in that process will help yield longer lasting, deeper exponential results in the way that that is experienced in our life. When you look at verse 10, it says, if either of them falls down, so again, keeping this idea of this coupling versus being isolated. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and it has no one to help them up. Community produces exponential results, but community also provides encouragement. Note takers, write it down. Community provides encouragement. Now in a practical sense, what's being talked about here is you trip and fall and somebody helps you back to your feet. And, and sometimes it's just that very physical presence and strength that provides that. But we all know when we could use a quote unquote pick me up. When you get a strategic call from somebody who speaks life into you, or you bump into somebody and you weren't prepared for that conversation, but it was a divinely orchestrated moment where you both encouraged one another in the things of the Lord, or a timely prayer, or something along those lines where it was just like, man, at just the right moment, something happened, and I was able to draw a fresh breath. I was able to regain some of my full self. I was able to move forward in the things that uh, were out in front of me. I was able to kind of grind out a little bit more perseverance uh, or, or take another step forward in, in moving through that difficulty. That, that you, you know what it's like to have that breath of fresh air. And community provides that. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the writer there puts it this way, as to the role of encouragement in the community of believers. And he says, encourage one another daily. Everybody say daily. daily. That's your check-in to make sure that you're still awake with me. Encourage one another daily. That it was supposed to be a, uh, a daily habit, default way of living together. That is, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church. He's like, every day make this a part of just the way that you do life, just the way that you live together in community. Encourage one another. Well, how should I do that? I don't know. How should you? Right? We try to get stuck oftentimes in the minutia of what it looks like. But you know what it feels like to be encouraged, and you know what it looks like to encourage, and you know what the opposite feels like as well. And in community that's healthy and formed correctly, we're able to encourage one another into the things that God has for us. Number, uh, verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Community provides care that you cannot provide for yourself. Now, there are some things that you can do for your own growth and for your own benefit. In fact, uh, now in um, organi organizational behavior, uh, in organization management, in kind of employee-employer dynamics, you'll hear language oftentimes about self-care, right? I need a self-care day. In fact, if you're, uh, in somebody, if you're somebody who is in any circles of, of counseling or things along those lines, you'll, you'll hear that language. There is a uh, a greater awareness of the need for people to be whole and healthy for them to give their best at whatever they're doing and even employers are starting to see those types of things but there's oftentimes uh, only so much you can do for yourself there's times where you cannot provide the care 
that you need, and community provides that. And if you've ever been in a place where you've had to have surgery or where you've been out of commission and you had to rely on neighbors or friends to come and be a part of just keeping you going, then you know what I'm talking about, that community provides care that can't be done for ourselves. And this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 6 when he's writing to the churches there, and he says to carry each other's burdens— carry each other's burdens. That word burden in the Greek is a weight that cannot be borne up under the strength of a single person. It's a very specific word that he's using there. And so the, the encouragement to the community is to come alongside and the big boulders that you can't move alone, you all get together and you get that done. It's providing care that would otherwise not be able to be provided because you couldn't care for it for yourself. And then verse 12, though one would be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Community provides strength as we lend our strength one to another. This is physical strength. This is spiritual strength. Man, I don't know if you've ever been facing a difficulty where somebody alongside you came along and they just had really strong faith and all of a sudden you felt your faith start to rise and you could believe for the things of God too. Somebody where you were facing something that was incredibly fearful for you to have to kind of walk through and somebody else came alongside and had such tremendous courage that you saw your courage grow as a result. Like we're strengthened in community. We're strengthened in community. We're cared for, we're encouraged by, and there's exponential results that are a result of it. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, that as we kind of go and engage in kind of this back and forth and doing life together, that there is this mutual edification, this mutual strengthening. It comes as a result of this. Oftentimes this verse gets hijacked and just made into like a man verse, right? So it's just like you and your brothers in arms. And we like it because there's kind of like this clashing and clanging and there's sharpening. And I don't know, I see swords. It doesn't say anything about swords there, but I always think about swords when I read the verse. But this isn't a primarily masculine type of statement. This is a community statement that applies to everybody. That as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. That there's this ability for you and I to to strengthen one another where we're both tempered steel on the other side of it and we're razor sharp for the things that we are called to be purposed in. And community provides all of those things. And isolation takes all of those things off the table. As soon as you're isolated, there's no exponential results. You get what you get, what you provide in your own. There's no encouragement when you're discouraged alone. You're just left to kind of play the loop in your head. Typically, it spirals us downward, has been my experience. There's not care that's provided, because you had already been providing the care that you could on your own. And there's a lack of strength, because you can't strengthen yourself. And so community plays a vital role in whether or not you and I become resilient. Now, again, we can endure, we can persevere, and we can, we can walk into some resilience just kind of on our own just our me and Jesus thing, but for it to be deep, lasting, transformational, and exponential, it requires us to do that together. And as our individual community grows, 
so does our collective resilience. As you and I each grow individually and as we grow collectively, then the whole, uh, the maturity of the whole, the whole community begins to grow as a result of that. And the, what's true about community and individuals is true about churches as well. And as a church family, we've grown exponentially. We've matured. We've, we've seen growth. We've seen more reach. We've seen more uh, move of God. And he has begun to grow our community, even in a formal way uh, in our leadership. I've got a few individuals who are going to join me um, on stage for just a brief moment as I highlight and embarrass them. But Janae and Suzanne and Mark, if you guys would all come forward. We're going to spend a moment on this and then we're going to move towards uh, application in just our own personal lives. But one of the things that uh, has been happening in our church family over the last year is that the Lord has been continuing to grow um, our community of leaders, uh, both in formal and informal ways. Uh, as a church family, we uh, see our mission as ultimately the launching of leaders, and so we don't make any apologies about this. Our goal is to try to help you discover the plans and purposes of God for your life and to just like encourage you into full throttle running into those things and giving you everything that you need to get there. And as we continue to grow and to do that as a church family, uh, this last year we've grown our leadership team and in a, in a formal sense. And so I just wanted to make sure that you knew who these people were and that you had uh, just kind of a, a statement about those. But Janae Kerr has joined our staff officially. She's our director of facilities and she's overseeing our events. She's already been doing all kinds of crazy stuff that you would never know about, but all the rest of us do. But she is formally part of our staff. Uh, Pastor Suzanne is finishing up her Foursquare licensing uh, this summer. She's already stepped into the role as our care pastor and has been running uh, with those ministries as well. And Pastor Mark is joining us as our executive pastor and is going to be helping with processes and uh, pastoral care um, and just kind of stewarding things going on in the church. And I just, I wanted to make sure that you saw their faces and knew who they were as they were out hustling and bustling and doing things. And it's likely that you'll have questions or stirrings that God's going to do in your life. And you'll be directed towards them to be a part of your uh, experience and your growth and your development. Um, but we just wanted to make sure that you knew who they were and to say thank you. And uh, we love you guys. So yes, you can go. Can I just tell you that I love this church because there's not a leader, whether it's a, a staff leader or a servant leader that I bring up here that's not like, can I just get off this stage because this, this isn't what I'm here for. That's, a, that's actually a pretty healthy earmark of a, a church family that's got the focus on the right things. But worship team, if you would come forward, church family, and ask you to stand, and we're going to allow the Lord to just do some searching of our own hearts and to encourage us towards maybe some action steps this week. And I want to I give you kind of two places to consider some questions. And the first question is this. Is what, what would your life look like? I want you to try to imagine this in your mind's eye. What would it look like if you developed a healthy spiritual community around you? So that statement would be uh, assuming that maybe there's a piece of that that is disconnected or a place where you are isolated. Um, a, a place where that is missing or needed. Could, could you imagine what it would look like for that to be formed and for that to be healthy? And if that is a need for you, I want to encourage you with something. Here, here is the 
here is oftentimes um, the danger in the way that we approach seeing that fixed. We think that community is wrapped up in a person instead of people. Okay, I want you to hear that. We, we sometimes, we mistake that community is somehow wrapped up in a person instead of people. It will be really unlikely that you would ever find a single individual that would fit all of the need for community that you have in your life. You need people. Don't find the perfect person. Find individuals that can play a part in this area of your growth, in this place of encouragement, in this place of companionship. And instead of making the mistake of trying to grab one person and suck all the life that you see in them out of them, thinking that that's going to bring life to you. It will leave you both empty and frustrated. But if you need community, the place to start is to begin to pray and then begin to take steps where you're becoming vulnerable. What would it look like for you to grow, mature, and to become resilient as a part of community? And then we need to consider the other side of it. What would it look like for you if you have community, if you've, if you've got that healthy community around you, you're engaged in church life, you've got that group of Jesus followers that are always just pumped to be your tribe and you guys are going and growing like crazy. What would it look like for you to have eyes to see those who are not connected? It doesn't mean that you have to grab and rescue everybody. It doesn't mean that somehow every other person has to become a part of that tribe. In fact, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it does make sense that we would be aware of people who are isolated and alone and that we would invite them to take steps towards one anotherness. Towards one anotherness, being, being apart, being connected. Because it's in that community interaction, whether, uh, whether it's kind of out moving into community from way on the fringes or whether you're at the center of something that's already formed. It's in that community that we have exponential results and we bump into encouragement and we share our strength and we provide care. What would it look like for us to have eyes to see those who have that need and to be a part of answering pieces to that, not trying to be the answer in our whole person, but being an answer to a peace as we are able. Lord, we ask that you would give us that type of heart, that type of desire. Lord, for those who are isolated, who are alone, who are disconnected, who are in need of community, Lord, would you uh, help them to make their way towards healthy, right relationships. Lord, for relationships that need to be healed and made whole, Lord, we pray that you would do a miracle there, Lord, that you would show yourself to be wonderful, a miracle worker, bringing repair and reconciliation. Lord, give us eyes to see the needs around us and a willingness to extend an invitation to know and be known. Lord, that we would grow as a resilient community of Christ followers, that we would know how to endure, that we would know how to persevere, but Lord, that we would also know how to remain resilient to be our whole selves on the other side of challenges and difficulties, healthy and whole with nothing missing and nothing broken because we are in you and in community with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week. They're very, very simple. Snap a picture of them, catch them online later on. But number one, make the choice that you're going to engage in building community. This is going to require some vulnerability and some invitation. Number two, 
Begin to invite others into your need or your challenge. That means you got to be willing to be real with people to some degree. Number three, begin to look to encourage others intentionally and purposefully this week.